Hello and welcome to You Got This, a podcast about teaching and learning and sustaining community for everyone at Thompson Rivers University. I'm your host, Brenna Clark-Gray, Coordinator of Educational Technologies, and this podcast is a project of your friends over at Learning Technology and Innovation. We're housed within open learning, but we support the whole campus community. I record this podcast in Tecumloops Te Suetmuk within the unceded traditional lands of Suetmukulu, where I hope to learn and grow in community with all of you. Welcome back. <laughs> what a week it's been. What a week it's been. What a week of clear messaging and straightforward expectations. <laughs> oh, let's get into it. How are you? Are you good? I hope you're good. I'm not sure how I am. It's been a very strange week. I'm still working at home part-time and on campus part-time. I'm trying to do a couple of days both places. Some weeks it works out, some weeks it doesn't. I find the atmosphere on campus really complicated. I'm happy to see people, I'm holding my breath for Reservoir to reopen. <laughs> I'm excited for campus to feel alive again. It's felt so strange to be on campus without students. And yet, at the same time, it's still a pandemic. It still feels so, so strange to be around people. Everything feels like it's happening too fast and not quickly enough. Everything feels like we're trying our best and also like we're flailing in the dark. Maybe that one's just me, but I feel it pretty acutely. I'm trying to maintain a level of excitement and positivity about the semester for lots of reasons. The people who come into office hours need security and reassurance and reinforcement that they're doing the right thing, not my anxiety. <laughs> That's nobody else's problem but my own. But also because I think that I am hopeful that things will go well. I'm just not always confident in my own hopes. I'm finding that a really strange dynamic to manage, I guess. I want to feel unambiguously happy, or else I want to be at home. <laughs> and it turns out that neither of those are options right now. So I guess day to day, I'm doing okay. I'm hoping that you are too. I'm hoping that the energy and enthusiasm of your students is giving you the boost that you need when you walk into that classroom. And I'm hoping that you feel safe, that you've been able to take choices and make decisions that allow you to feel safe in what is ultimately a really complicated and difficult situation for everyone to manage. And I guess that's kind of it for my opening essay this week. I'm feeling quite all over the place <laughs> about the return. I hope you're feeling more settled. Or if you're not, that knowing that you're not the only one feeling all over the place helps in some way. I'm excited because our first interview of the season is one of my favorite people, Brian Lamb, my boss, the Director of Learning Technology and Innovation here at TRU, is 
on the line today to talk about last year and the year to come and hopefully a good conversation about our programming. I hope you enjoy it. I always like having Brian here to talk and I always like remembering that I'm part of a team that really, really cares, even when sometimes everything feels so up in the air. So without further ado, here's Brian. So as is tradition on You Got This, we are here with our first interview of the new season, and it's it's Brian Lamb from Learning Technology and Innovation. Hi, Brian. Hello. How's it going? It's, I'm doing okay. I, I was going to say it's the day after Labor or two days after Labor Day. Classes are starting today. How are we feeling? Uh, so, well, I mean, there's the overall <laughs> thing. Uh, I, I can I can honestly say I am uh, a thousand percent better than I was at this exact moment in the academic <laughs> calendar a year ago. Oh my gosh! Uh, I couldn't believe it when I looked at my calendar and saw we had booked this for this morning. I guess is this like her being just extremely confident uh, <laughs> or extremely oblivious? Uh, Why so, not both? Why not? Yeah. Both? Well, fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah, no. I mean, uh, one year year ago, I woke up bright and early and ready to take on the new day. And, and if anyone who listens to the first episode, you got this. You know, you and I were quite chipper. You know, oh, yeah. going into it. I mean, we, we knew were. it was going to be a tough year, but we were proud of what we'd done and we really thought we'd done everything we could do to prepare yeah we were <sighs> idiots <laughs> so we were <laughs> and you know i mean these things there's no point in finger pointing i i honestly don't think what went wrong was our fault exactly i mean but these things are systemic so you know in a sense i mean the fact is we're part of that system and uh yeah I mean, we had a major video conferencing failure on the first day of class and it landed yeah. on us uh whatever whatever was the cause. The thing I will always remember is that we answered like 250 tickets that day, mm -hmm. um, which is, I mean, generally at this time of year, there's like 100 open tickets that are in the process of being resolved. So in one day, we we sort of more than doubled that. It was absolutely wild. And of course, the problem persisted for about a week and a half, two weeks. So yeah. it was a busy time. And it completely, I think, as much as anything too, I think just blue whatever whatever chill we had or whatever yes. like it really threw us out of our rhythm and I think it was a shot to our confidence and it you know oh it, hugely it, I think we felt like our... we had sorry I keep cutting you off I just I think we felt like we had built this really positive relationship with the community and we were terrified that we had just trashed it all with one system mm -hmm. failure yeah exactly yeah so, but you know, I, I, I haven't checked all of the <laughs> all the channels incoming. There's a few weird things going on out there, uh, so I'm not going to be relaxed for the next little while, uh, if ever. But uh, it's certainly looking better than a year ago, uh, from that point of view. Yeah, and you know, I think there's definitely a different vibe on campus. Uh, last year, I think we felt prepared, and faculty felt unsure of what was about to come and this year I kind of think faculty feel relatively prepared walking back into their classrooms whatever you know anxieties mm -hmm. around the the time may Perfect. exist and we're feeling really uncertain about what this term is going to bring to us that's fair I think that's a really good way of looking at it and I think when people have asked how we're doing what I have been telling people is um, you know volume is is much more manageable, although we're still mm -hmm. busy. I mean, yesterday that help desk was cooking. Yes, and, and, yes our, it was. and we all tried to help. But our colleague Jamie Drozda, who drew the short straw and had that day, kind of did one of her 
even by Jamie's standards, epic performances. And the, yes, so you know that's those. It was kind of cool to watch in a way, but the but it it, it was. I mean, it's not like I don't think if, if I certainly hope the university understands. I I don't think we're ever going back to a place where the system is a completely complementary piece, even for face to face campuses. This is now mm-hmm. an integral part of how people teach and learn, and not just Moodle. Um, we've had a lot of projects on the go. Yep. I certainly do. And I've got a few lingering uh, and, you know, things I want to get over the, the, the hump this week. Sorry, I was just going to say, which is great because yeah. that's kind of what I hoped would be the outcome of the hell that was last year, which is that people feel comfortable enough in this world to explore a little bit. So, you know, we've got folks building WordPress sites and doing podcasts who maybe a year ago didn't think that there was a space for digital tools in their practice. And now they're doing really interesting things with them. Like, I'm not going to be like, the pandemic was great because now we have WordPress sites. But I do think that that is one possible positive outcome, at least from the pivot portion of what we've been through in the last year. I think we said this when we closed off season one of your podcast, but in, in many ways, I mean, when we look at where we were hoping to get with the community in terms of uh, our profile and the number of relationships and who, who we were working with and, 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 and how they were prepared to look at digital technologies as part of their practice. I think it, two years ago, we might have thought for just sheer level of participation. I think we this jump started us about three years in, in the yeah. path. Yeah. And, and it wasn't easy and it wasn't under the conditions I would have wanted to do it or <laughs> ever want to do anything like again. Uh, but all that said, you know, it's, uh, you know, that part is good. And, mm-hmm. and I, yeah. And, and, you know, the number of instructors said, well, I'm never going to go back to the way I used to teach is, is, is really, you know, gratifying. Yeah. And I think that hopefully what folks get out of this year, fingers crossed, is the opportunity to explore the best of both worlds, right? Um, and to develop a practice that they will be able to sustain into the future. Mm-hmm. I'm still feeling, I don't know, anxious, unsettled about whether the term is going to roll out the way we all hope. I'm choosing my words carefully because I think we want, we don't, I know I don't want to worry folks unnecessarily, but you just have to watch the news to know that we're in this moment of profound uncertainty around how the rest of the fall in particular, I think is going to go. I think anyone who's been sentient over the last two years, you just don't, (laughs) I don't know how you can feel like everything's just settled and you know where things are going. I, you know, and so, yeah, it's hard. I, I think, I, I think you have to, and I think, you know, the thing I've always felt about learning technology, even before these times uh, is, you know, things like resiliency, flexibility, mm-hmm. you know, the ability to, you know, don't get too bogged down with certain strategies because you may have to turn on a dime. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think, you know, those, essential principles. I think we don't talk a lot about that internally, but I think that's how we practice. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that approach has, and I hope will serve us <laughs> uh, moving <laughs> forward, whatever it is. I, I, I fully expect something's going to change, uh, whether it's because of happy accidents or disturbing developments. I, I mean, mm-hmm. things are going to change this, this semester. And I think as people get un- their feet under them, they're going to think, okay, this is under control. Now I want to do this. I'm expecting some of that to happen too. I think some people are holding back because they're not quite sure what to expect. So they're going in, uh, you know, relatively light, which I think is intelligent. Mm -hmm, Uh, I agree. 
but if yeah if things turn out well i could see them getting a little more ambitious and, and, and starting to think ahead to other semesters and things like that so yeah no i mean we're gonna i don't know what's going to <laughs> uh, take over our lives in the next few weeks but something will i mean i know that yeah, it's true. I'm thinking today, you know, we've got so many new instructors on the help desk. This this episode isn't going to come out till Monday once everybody's, you know, fully seasoned and expert. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm really sort of seeing just how many people we added to our community this year, mm-hmm. which I, I kind of knew, but also wasn't really expecting in this climate to have so many new faces and so much... Um, you know, instructor changeover around courses and things. And I just think, I, I ever think everybody's capacity for flexibility and resiliency has been tested for the last 18 months. And that doesn't seem to be slowing down at all. So I hope that as a community, we can also maintain those other good practices from the last year of like looking out for each other and being generous and kind. And because um, I can just see how much anxiety there still is in the air. And from an admin perspective, similar levels of turnover over the last 18 months to two years um, in the operational units and the support groups. And there's a whole bunch of people who have become quite important parts of how we do what we do that I've yet to meet. And I assume I will be meeting in the coming weeks. Uh, But um, so that's something to keep in mind, too. And there's definitely some bumpy areas happening. And I would mm-hmm. expect that. I mean, when you have people going through what they're going through now, and this is their first fall at the institution, and some of the institutional knowledge that you know it's retired, you know, or, or moved on to other things over the last couple of years, you know, is quite significant. And mm-hmm. there's definitely people that are finding their way, uh, you know, outside the classroom as well, and, and doing what a university does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, the reason I wanted you to come on is not just to talk about sort of last year and, <laughs> and everything. I'm I'm trying to, oh, I don't know, be cautiously but not toxically optimistic about what's to come. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking a lot about sort of like hopes for this year. So we've sort of already reflected on one, which is just getting to see the growth in the community in terms of awareness of technological tools, what they can do in their classroom, why a podcast, why a website, like that part's cool. I'm wondering if you have other sort of forward thinking hopes for what this year is going to look like um, sitting here on this, the most sort of pins and needles day of the year for our team. Well, to build, to build on that, what we were saying, uh, you know, about kind of the jump starting and kind of a profile and digital literacy, and then hopefully, you know, using it as a foundation to build on. I think that's, that's my kind of core uh, mm-hmm. hope for this coming year that, mm-hmm. you know, um, that, that, you know, we, we can continue to grow the types of skills and attributes we've seen growing in the community, that some of the people who've been not only developing their skills, but a broader sense of how technology works. All the people you interviewed in season one, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, that those people continue to grow and that we start and you know, we see them continue to see them as partners. Um, and that, yeah, that hopefully we have room to breathe and think about, you know, the kind of things we put in front of our community and some of them may be quite niche. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking about some of our workshop offerings, but to me, that's, the, I mean, those are the things that really is where the real action is and where the real fun is and what, you know, why I think we entered this field was to do the kinds of, so in some ways I'm really looking forward to getting kind of back to our jobs. <laughs> yes. uh, 
and and uh, I'm really excited about our fall programming. Mm-hmm. And not only not only the topics, but I, I've really enjoyed the conversations we had. You know, starting in the spring, um, and it wasn't just because we expected challenges with having people in rooms together. But we really wanted to get away from that paradigm that a workshop, you know, is about a thing where you book a room and you get some, you know, not necessarily awesome coffee and some wraps <laughs> and you sit in a room for an hour and then people clap politely at the end and, and shuffle out. And then maybe you get a project out of it a few weeks mm-hmm. later um, that we started to think about how we set up our offerings in a way that, you know, if people can't make that one hour session or if they happen to be at Williams Lake or an open learning participant or whatever, that we have on ramps for them, you know, even though we may well have face-to-face components as well. So mm-hmm. like just the one that jumps to mind is one of the ones we've already done some of the sessions for them, you know, our Moodle orientation materials mm-hmm. that, that, you know, that was theoretically a set of workshops, but now we have just really enhanced onboarding materials, particularly for new Moodle users. And I've sent links to parts of that website to, I feel like hundreds of people yes. already. Yep. Uh, Definitely. <laughs> and it's so on point. And, but the thing that's great about that is, is, you know, that was actually a component of programming. And so I think that's a bit more extreme than what I expect we'll do for other things, but maybe not. And I, I just love that approach. And I really got to give Jamie and Amanda Smith a lot of credit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they took on that project and first of all, it looks fabulous. Mm-hmm. It <laughs> looks really, really good. Um, it puts me to shame for some of my projects. It's amazing. But also, you know, Amanda went through and she watched the existing Moodle orientation recordings, which God love her. That can't have been a fun way to spend her days. Um, and she pulled out all the details. So it's like everything you would have gotten from sitting through, you know, a week long, we used to do like one or two hours a day for a week, Moodle orientation. Um, and instead, it's all broken down into the component parts. So you don't have to sit through the whole workshop or watch those recordings. You can just go in and find the pieces that you need. Like, it's a really thoughtful resource because it's built directly out of the programming and the way we deliver the content live. I just thought it was really, it was a really clever approach that Jamie and Amanda took and it works really well as a result. Like it feels very chatty and conversational when you go in to engage with any of the resources. Mm-hmm. It's really nicely done. Yeah. It doesn't feel like technical documentation. Uh, it, no. It, 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 it really does feel like, you know, like you would be in a workshop with some people. And uh, yeah, I, I can't say enough about that. And I think it sets a tone and I'm looking at some of our other programming and I, I, I think, you know, I don't know if we'll have anything quite as research rich coming out of this. I, maybe one or two I could see being quite rich by the time it's done. Uh, but again, I think that kind of approach where we hope there'll be a bit of a multimodal dimension that people can come. And, and if we have something face to face that hopefully they'll want to come and hang out with us or if it's a virtual event and we're planning on doing plenty of virtual events, that'll work for them. And again, if they, if the schedules don't work, that there's things that they can dip into at the convenience. So I'm just really pleased with that. I think it's interesting because as a discipline, I think ed tech and learning technologies has sort of always followed along the general faculty development model, right? Which is that you um, monitor your success by attendance at sessions, right? Mm -hmm. And that seems strange now that we're starting to step away from it as a way to measure success within trying to teach people digital technologies because surely the success is primarily in people actually using resources that you've developed to do their own 
work. Like not that there isn't a place for workshops and face-to-face conversations. I think there really is. And I, I look forward to things like um, book clubs and discussion series where we get to kind of dig into the bigger issues. But it seems odd that I used to think that the goal was to get 12 people out to a podcasting workshop and not to build a resource that people take and go and make podcasts with. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just odd that I had to go through the last year to kind of come to that place. Mm-hmm. Although, I mean, the example you chose, you did do a pretty great podcasting resource out of that. I know you intend to extend that this year. Uh, and maybe that could be one of the things we transition into shortly. I'm not trying to take over your interview, but uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'll just say before that, maybe before we, we dig in, like I, I do really like the mix we have to. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's some pretty pragmatic, hands-on things, uh, including, you know, like I said, the Moodle stuff and, and things with, you know, building out WordPress or, you know, fairly hands-on things, the meme stuff, mm-hmm. uh, all that. But also, you know, uh, the, the more reflective step back things. So, you know, we have community of practice and book club, you know, your series um, on Build Back Better. And and then, and then some stuff that falls kind of in the middle of that that you're doing, like, the managing your marking load mm-hmm. um, stuff, you know, which I think is, you know, obviously quite pragmatic, but I know how you approach it. And I mean, you seem to, I think a lot of the things you do, they're not, they're not necessarily tricks with Excel or something like that. It's, <laughs> it's, it's really about how you approach assessment in my experience when you do that. Yeah. Well, I, I think I drive people a little bit crazy because my first piece of advice to manage your marking load is have fewer assessments. <laughs> That's always my first my first suggestion. Like, can you drop an assessment? That would really lower your marking load a lot um, and lower student load as well. Um, yeah, I think, I guess I'm thinking about what the term looks like and I look at our programming calendar and the thing I'm most excited about, to be perfectly honest, is like there's a real sense of fun about the programming this term. Mm-hmm. And we've had a year of people using technology, um, not because they wanted to, but because circumstances required it. And it's really nice to see a programming calendar that is about, you know, we have a whole series on play this year. Um, Jason's got a whole series on the visual again, really engaging people's ideas about like how to represent content and how to deal with like the visual in the classroom. So there's a real sense of getting back to the idea of technology, um, not as something that's being imposed upon you by a global pandemic, but about something that offers opportunity and fun and joy, I hope. Um, That's been nice. That's been a nice transition in our calendar, I think. And and a lot of these technologies are fun to work with, like Mm -hmm. even even before you get to your result. Um, And, you know, I've come to a certain grudging respect for the utility of Moodle. Uh, you know, it, it does come in handy, especially if you're trying to serve thousands of people with, mm-hmm, with, mm-hmm. with two people. Uh, but um, at the same time, I, I, there's not a lot that I do with Moodle that I think of as fun, uh, no. particularly when I'm setting it up. Uh, sometimes this the does not can be spark fun. joy. <laughs> but, you know, a tool like Twine, you know, and you start yeah. thinking about like branching scenarios, like I, I'm really looking forward to playing around with that. And I, I do enjoy, I mean, well, this is one that kind of does interact with Moodle. I mean, I think H5P uh, tools are very fun. I think mm-hmm. messing around with an animated GIF maker is really fun. I'm really looking forward to digging more into that. And, you know, we kept doing a little of that over the last year, maybe only for our own sanity, but it's nice mm-hmm. to be able to really dig into that and build some resources out. I'm fascinated by what you're planning to do with your podcasting. 
series because like you already did develop a pretty good resource there but you, when you just to kind of maybe draw what we're talking about there like you, could, could you share a bit about what you want to do with your, your podcasting series yeah so the plan is to build out the existing podcasting resource into more of like uh like a self-directed masterclass. It has kind of four units to it that walks you through the process of both planning a podcast and also gives you a chance to play a little bit. So you can actually test out like, what's it like to create a little bit of audio? Um, What's it like to have to edit that audio? Uh, How do you find music to put into your podcast? Like the nuts and bolts stuff, but giving people less just links out and more like, here's a task to complete. so Jason and John and I are collaborating on this one. And and the goal really is to have kind of a four-week program that you can go through at your own pace, although we will have some live sessions in October so people can check in and get help and ask questions. Um, but at the end of it, you'll kind of have established a little toolkit for yourself in terms of you'll know basically how to structure and shape a podcast, um, how to do a, a little bit of minor audio editing, um, and then how to actually like create it, upload it, distribute it, all that stuff. So that's the plan anyway. Uh, it's it, it's nascent. It'll be ready for October 1st is the goal right now. Um, but I'm excited about it because I feel like we've kind of gotten to a plateau on campus about like awareness of podcasts and what they can do. Like we've had that conversation several times now, um, but we have yet to offer folks that interim step between like, here's what a podcast is. And then like, here are a bunch of tutorials, go at it by yourself. And this is designed to be kind of that middle step in between. Like is a podcast right for your project is one of the key questions we ask in the resource. Um, And then here's how you get the first steps done to feel like this is something well to feel like you know whether or not this is something you want to proceed with if that makes sense mm-hmm. listening to how you're talking about that too you're really reminding me of some of the interesting things that have been happening with podcasting at TRU wider like mm-hmm. I'm aware of three really interesting student podcasting projects that are either getting off the ground or have kind of been going for a while mm-hmm. there's an undergraduate research network out of the research office that we're doing video podcasting um I know there's this uh, new one. It's still very early, but it's uh, an anti-racism podcast mm-hmm. called Ion EDI that's starting to develop. Um, and uh, Peers on Careers, uh, a student-led uh, podcast on career planning. They also have a website I'm really jealous of. I'm going to oh, steal what it's they've so done. Good. <laughs> yes, we will be stealing that. Yes. Because uh, mm-hmm. I, I told them that they did a great job. So that's that's all really we got to do to cover ourselves on that. Uh, but <laughs> they, uh, great job. I'm taking it. The, <laughs> the um, and, and that gets me really thinking, I, I'm really hoping we're going to be able to reach students with a lot of this program too. And mm-hmm. um, it's not necessarily quote unquote faculty development. So hopefully, uh, you know, faculty, if even if they may not do a podcast, um, if they know that their students have an interest that, that, you know, that they think to direct their students to some of this stuff too, whether participating in the sessions or again, we're hoping there'll be really useful resources that they'll be able to use to help to grow what they do. Yeah, my hope is that the self-directed course will be appealing to students who might not want to sit in a room with a bunch of faculty members, which is okay. Um, and also, I my plan is to let the makerspace folks at the library know about it as a way to 
um, sort of orient people into podcasting in that space too. So I'm hoping that it will be a useful resource for a bunch of different applications and, and just to help support the neat work that's happening with podcasts. It's, it's kind of cool. I feel like we hit some kind of critical mass and the pandemic had a lot to do with it. Actually, like a lot of people started podcasts during the pandemic. I think it, you know, the, we've talked before about the intimacy and the connected nature of podcasting and how appealing that can be. I think that's clearly been part of a big resurgence in interest. Um, but yeah, it's it's exciting to see. Let's face it, you're a big part of that, Brenna. I mean, this podcast you're doing, I think is, is really cool. And uh, I, I, I just really love the, the, the whole prism of uh, people in the community that whose voices we, we get to hear. Uh, and by the way, just like we're talking about our attitudes about come back to campus, you know, but the positive side, um, I was doing a little griping on Twitter and then one of your alums on, uh, uh, you got this, uh, Stephanie Tate, you know, popped mm-hmm. in and went, you know, just like, Hey, but our students are stoked. The students I'm talking to are stoked. And it's like, <laughs> thank you. That's exactly what I needed to hear at that exact yeah. moment. And anyway, so I'm really looking forward to that, but I was just to circle back a bit. We do have a pretty decent uh, podcast infrastructure. I don't know if you'd be mm-hmm. willing to just say really quickly, like how you put this together and some of the, the tools that we have available to people in TRU. Sorry. It's funny because I was in a meeting yesterday and I was saying to um, the person I was talking to that like, actually, the thing that you think is the hardest part about podcasting, like how do I make it go into the world, is actually the easiest part. We've got a pretty streamlined process for that here now. Um, you just need a Truebox site, which we can set up for you, learningtech.tru.ca anytime. Uh, and the plugin I recommend people use is called Seriously Simple Podcasting because it's really easy. The name is true. Um, and it's great because once you have those two pieces in place, we can host your podcast right on the server. You go ahead and submit your information to whatever podcatcher apps appeal to you and the the plugin just does it all for you every time you upload an episode it pushes it out to all those distribution networks so like I think that people get really intimidated by that piece of it when really as I always say the hard part is audio editing (laughs) that's the time consuming Mm. difficult part that you need practice to get good at the actual getting the darn thing out into the world we've actually got that down to a science around here it's it's pretty good um so I think that that kind of helps people too, because it's good to always be honest about the the trouble spots, like learning how to edit audio is a bit of a learning curve. It takes a little bit of time. Um, but the piece that you might be most worried about, I think we've got the edges sanded off of that pretty good at this point. Yeah. And if I can actually continue to interrogate you. <laughs> Whose uh, show is this, by I the know. way? <laughs> Well, this is a part two. I mean, I, I, this is me putting my director hat. I'm just so proud that I have a faculty member on my team with a shark. And I would just, I don't know. I mean, I just, I don't know if you've talked about it really on your own podcast. And given that it's a shark that has some, I don't know. Well, maybe you should talk about what it's about. <laughs> I, I think there might be reasons you might talk about it on a podcast. Yeah. So we, we've been really lucky. We um, we are partners on a shark um, development grant to build out the infrastructure for a podcasting network, a scholarly podcasting network here in Canada. The idea is like, if you've ever used the OJS to submit a journal, it's going to be that, but for podcasts. So the idea is that there's the infrastructure in place for podcasts to go through a peer review process, um, but also with accessibility in mind. So things like 
transcripts will be ready to go right out of the box. The whole nine yards, sort of a, a, a well-oiled a well little machine. And um, part of that development grant is the creation of three new podcasts that will pilot this peer review system as it gets established. And so we are one of those podcasts. Um, it'll be a teaching and learning podcast called Community of Praxis. And then there's two others, one from two uh, library science students at um, University of Manitoba, I believe, uh, which is all about borders. And and then Daniel Heath Justice is doing one about animals. Um, and so it's exciting because this is the first time I've done a project where I don't know how to word it, except that I'm not 100% sure it's all going to work. <laughs> like <laughs> I, One of the things I really struggle with is the challenge of maintaining the kind of spontaneity and intimacy and responsiveness that I think makes podcasts special and having that survive a year-long peer review process. Like, can it? I don't know yet. I'm still, I'm still interviewing and I'm still editing audio. Um, but it's exciting because, you know, one of the things that we don't talk about enough we're all pushed all the time to make our scholarship more accessible. Um, do podcasts, write blogs, uh, get out in the world and talk about your research. Except that because we don't have any institutional mechanism for that to sort of like quote unquote count at most institutions, what ends up happening is the people who are interested in engaging with the wider world just end up doing double the work, right? So they have to write the research article that gets counted for tenure and promotion. And they also, because they feel it's important, they go and they create a podcast or a blog about their research to try to get it into the world. Um, and so what if we could start to think about ways to have the peer review process adapt to more accessible forms of scholarship um, without killing what makes those accessible forms of scholarship special, right? And uh, maybe it can't, but I'm hoping it can. And that, that's the goal of the project, generally speaking. Listening to you talk, it really sounds like an investigation about, you know, what does digital scholarship really look like, you know, now that we're not just talking about putting stuff in digital form, like what are the parameters or what are the rhythms of digital scholarship? Yeah. And, and that's, yeah, that's exactly what it is for me. I mean, there's larger goals for the, the project as a whole, and it's a huge grant. And the vast majority of the money is going to the actual developing the tech, the technological piece, right? This system um, that will function for the distribution of podcasts. But I think it's really interesting to think about whether or not the system can adapt um, because it's it's like tempting to just want to blow up the system. And that is my general perspective on like most <laughs> systems that I encounter. Like what if we just exploded it? Um, but we know how resilient the systems are. And so what if there's a way to reframe peer review to move from being what is ultimately a pretty oppressive practice that gatekeeps and um, often silences or rejects the most marginalized scholars among us, what if there's a, actually a way to reinvent that process to make it something better? Um, and I'm excited to find out. I'm, I'm going to be excited to hear it whenever it does come <laughs> out. It looks like it's going to be a little uh, slower process than what I've gotten used to with uh, You Got This. But Yeah, next September, hopefully, hopefully. But um, 
it's it needs a year, right, to go through peer review and to test all these new systems out. And that's super weird to think about because I'm not sure. I don't know. Will I still even feel the same way about the topics when I haven't touched them for a year when I hear them come out? I don't know. It's going to be a strange experience. That's for sure. So since I got you here and we're talking <laughs> workshops, uh, I also want would love to hear more about some of the other things you're doing. I, we talked a little bit about the more kind of hands-on practical stuff, but I mean, you're going to continue your usual practice of engaging, I guess we could call them difficult conversation. I, I don't want to characterize it. So how would you characterize uh, something I say build back better? Mm, I do think of it as a space for difficult conversations. I've been really struck and I'm going to wear my faculty hat and you can just keep your mouth shut for this next part, but I've been really struck about how um, little space there has been institutionally over the last few months for difficult conversations. You know, I, as a faculty member, I would have expected to have had some town halls, some open conversations about what the return to campus was going to look like, some some honest discussion about the anxieties that people have, some practical tips on like, how do I teach in a mask, right? All of these things. And it's felt to me like that space is not going to come from the administrative side of the house. And so over the summer, we had our pandemic pedagogies sessions, which was a place to start to talk about how we prep for a really uncertain fall. You'll you'll remember that we spent most of May and June with no idea what the return to the classroom was going to look like at all. Um, and now in September, running every two weeks, starting on the 23rd, we're going to continue that conversation and give people a space to come and ask questions and to um, share the good and the bad of what's going on in their classrooms and give people a place to talk about what is going to be a tumultuous semester, right? Like even if everything goes fine and we make it to Christmas and it's all great, we're going to have situations, you know, how do you manage a student's two week absence in a class where discussion and participation is a critical component of the grade? Um, what do you do when you have to be away but you're not actually sick and you want to continue delivering content to students. Is there a way for that to happen? Like, I just feel like there's all of these questions. No one's offering up any answers. So at least what I can do with my little bit of space on campus is give people a place to at least have that conversation. And, and the summer conversations are pretty great. So hopefully mm -hmm. people will continue and hopefully, I mean, along the lines you just said, it will kind of be an extension of that. That's my hope. Yeah, that's my hope is just, and you know, as long as we need the space, I want to keep providing it to people because it has been a really, um, I think it's been a fruitful space. Um, I think people have helped each other a lot. It's nice to set up a space where peers can come together um, to share experience and wisdom. It's been helpful, I think, for some of the people who are maybe newer to teaching to have some sense that people who have been doing it a long time are also experiencing anxiety and questions about all the, you know, all the tumult in the air. So yeah, I, um, I really love those sessions. I get a lot out of them just being in them and I learn a lot. And I've also found them to be a really useful place to be <laughs> totally mercenary. They're a really useful place to like mine for programming ideas because it's a good place to find out what people are feeling limited by. You know, like I'm trying to do this in my class and I can't because of X, Y, Z, right? And while we can try to help find solutions around that, um, 
So from from that perspective, from the perspective of growing the offerings of the department, those sessions have been really valuable as well. It's just always nice to hear what's actually happening in classrooms, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it when when uh, sometimes if, if we're both a little bit free, you often are ready to debrief after those chats and those are always fascinating too. Just the, yeah. of the ideas that they provoke and, and all that. Yeah, I just really love being with our community, you know, mm-hmm. um, particularly, you know, the folks who have stuck with us and our our offerings, even when they've been a little ramshackle over the last year. Um, I think that we've developed, you know, those discussions. I think there's a core of maybe 25 or 30 people who I know will reliably sign up and come out for those conversations. Um, and so it's not it's not a massive sample of the university, but they are the people, I think, who are maybe most... Um, they're at least the people who are most willing to talk to me about problems and concerns. And that gives us a space to grow from as a unit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, I've had you here for half an hour. <laughs> is, <laughs> is there anything else you want to say about the fall term or what people are coming up to? Or don't ask me any more questions because that's really cheeky. Um, <laughs> anything else you want to talk about with regards uh, I, to fall before we wrap it up? I think I think we capture what we're doing. I mean, I, we don't really need to talk. We're going to extend some things we're doing. I'm really looking forward to working with you and Jamie on hopefully uh, some WordPress cohort projects Yay. Uh, over the summer. Uh, a couple of our projects, we experimented with the idea of structuring workshop programming around product, project development mm-hmm. uh, with faculty, which I think makes the project so much better and it's just more efficient and I think just provides yeah, a better structure. I was pleased with how it went over the summer and I really hope that we'll be able to extend that and I'm looking forward to working with you and Jamie on that and everyone else who comes out. And yeah, I mean, and I guess too, I just, since I have this opportunity, anyone in our community, I just want to say, I want to really thank them for being, uh, you know, willing to roll with so much. And, mm-hmm. and we, you know, there've been tough times and there's certainly been moments where we've received frustrating things, but at the same time, we've received a lot of really uh, encouraging things and people mm-hmm. have really gone out of their way to express their support to us. And I can tell you, it really means a lot. And mm-hmm. Uh, I do feel privileged to work at this university with this community, these faculty, these students, and I really hope we're going to uh, still be friends in a few months. <laughs> that, is a, that is just a perfect tone to end this conversation on. Um, but I agree, you know, it's, it's, you don't go into ed tech unless you kind of like serving people and helping people achieve their goals. It's sort of central to how we approach the work. Um, and so anytime we know that we're succeeding at that, it's really rewarding. So yeah, and it's just a great community to work with. Unless we've just broken something of theirs and then they're mad at us and that's fair. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks for your time today, Brian. I always appreciate it. I always appreciate the chance to visit. Thank you. Talk soon. So that is it for season two, episode two of You Got This. As always, if you want to write to us, you can email me. I'm bgray at tru.ca. And I'm also on Twitter at Brenna C. Gray. And in both cases, that's gray with an A. All of our show notes and transcripts are posted at yougotthis.truebox.ca. And of course, you can always comment on individual episodes there. I'm going to leave you today with a tiny teaching tip. And my tiny teaching tip is pretty much the only thing I'm able to talk about, apparently, (laughs) which is I want to generously and warmly extend to you 
an invitation to talk to your students about the uncertainty that you're feeling about the term and to do it now before anything gets too chaotic. Sometimes I think as instructors, we feel like we have to be the voice of reason. Hopefully we are most of the time or an influence of unending calm. But I think that in this moment, those impulses are actually the wrong ones. I think in this moment, when uncertainty is on everyone's sleeve, and when the kinds of messages that our students are receiving might feel contradictory, either contradictory to previous messaging they've received or contradictory to the experience of the semester as they are living it, I think it can be helpful to let your students know that it feels this way to everyone. Especially for those who are teaching first-year classes and especially for those who spend a lot of time interacting with first-generation students, there's a tendency to believe that everyone else has it figured out and you're the only one who's lost. And I suspect that that sensation is even more acute right now. So if you're feeling uncertain, talk about it with your students. And where you can provide some certainty to them, I really encourage you to do so. So by that, I mean, let them know what the process is if they're going to miss class. If they know it ahead of time, they'll feel more confident to stay home when they're sick, which is what we want, right? If they're not sure, they might risk it, which is what we don't want. And the more we can ease anxiety, the more we can ease uncertainty, the more we can normalize the fact that we don't quite know how this whole semester is going to spool out. So it's okay if that's how you're feeling right now, the better for everyone. It's never a bad thing for our students to know us as human beings, flawed human beings who are struggling too. I'm not advocating you turn your class into a therapy session, but I do think some acknowledgement of this moment we're in is really necessary. And that acknowledgement is probably only going to come from you. Do you like how politically neutral I was in the way I phrased that? Well, growing as a person, I'm really proud of me. <laughs> all right, folks, in all of my uncertainty, I shall leave you. I look forward to hearing from you in the next few days and talking to you again next week. Take care. You got this. <laughs> and I'll talk soon. Bye-bye.